Welcome to The Term, a podcast about the Supreme Court by Law 360. I'm Jimmy Hoover. I cover the court for Law 360, and joining me is co-host Natalie Rodriguez. How are you, Natalie? Hey, Jimmy. Pretty good. Um, Obviously, a big day at the court today with 303 Creative, which I am excited to talk with you about and also our special guest. That's right. Listeners may notice that our episode today is not falling on our normal drop times. Uh, That's because we're kind of doing a quick fire special episode today, uh, reacting to today's oral arguments in the big LGBTQ rights case, uh, 303 Creative versus Alenis. We have a special guest on, as Natalie mentioned, so let's just get right to it. Joining us is Christopher Jackson. He's a former assistant attorney general at the Colorado Department of Law and currently an appellate partner at Holland and Hart, who's based in Denver. He's been tracking this case, and we're going to talk all about it. Welcome to the show, Christopher. Thanks for having me. So 303 Creative is a bit of a reprisal of the 2018 Masterpiece Cake Shop case. That one involved, obviously, the the Christian Baker, in that case, Jack Phillips, who turned down an order uh, for a custom wedding cake from a same-sex couple. This is kind of a twist on that. Um, it is a uh, a Christian web designer who who wants to pursue this uh, policy of 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 turning down uh, uh, the websites, wedding websites for same-sex couples. So, with that in mind, can you kind of break down for us how we got to the Supreme Court today? What's a bit of the background of this case, and and how does it relate to this masterpiece cake shop case that that sounds so similar? Yeah, sure. Um, so the background is that a, a Colorado woman named Lori Smith and her company 303 Creative are the petitioners in this case. Um, as you said, Smith wants to offer uh, a service of building wedding websites, but she does not want to offer those services to same-sex couples. Uh, in her view, same-sex marriages violate uh, God's will, and so she doesn't want to support them. This runs headlong into Colorado's public accommodations law, the Colorado Anti-Discrimination Act, or CADA. Um, That law says that if you are a public accommodation, that is a business that's selling goods or services to the general public, you cannot discriminate on the basis of things like race, sex, or important here, sexual orientation. And so Smith is arguing that requiring her to offer wedding websites to both opposite sex and same sex couples violates her right to free speech under the first amendment. As you said, this is pretty similar to the masterpiece cake shop case uh, heard back in 2018. In that case, the Supreme court, I think largely punted on any of the important legal questions. It resolved the case on pretty narrow grounds. And so now we're again confronted with this conflict between first amendment rights and anti-discrimination principles. So I'm glad you mentioned that kind of punt decision, and that was a decision written by Justice Anthony Kennedy, who was known for having a legacy in the law of you know of extending uh, LGBTQ rights or rights to LGBTQ folks. So with the court's kind of makeup having changed since his retirement, where does that kind of leave us heading into today's oral arguments? Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I think that is the probably the most important takeaway about the difference between the two cases. Um, When Justice Kennedy was on the court in 2018 and the court's makeup was what it was in 2018, uh, there was a pretty narrow split between the conservative and the liberal justices. uh, And many people think that the masterpiece cake shop, that the way that it was resolved uh, was a signal that the court was either unable or unwilling to fully resolve the issues at play in that case. Now in 2022, the court is uh, substantially different 
There's a very strong six to three conservative majority on the court. Uh, I think most court watchers expect that the court is going to side with Lori Smith and 303 Creative here. Um, and we'll probably get to this in a second, but I think the oral arguments mostly supported that view. Let's actually turn to the oral arguments today. Um, can you talk us through some of the highlights? What some of the you know specific ground issues that were covered in the oral arguments? Yeah, I think uh, that the summary of uh, the oral argument was essentially um, the hypothetical after hypothetical after hypothetical, <laughs> hypothetical, uh, the battle of the hypotheticals, maybe. Um, e- even for Supreme Court cases, you know, where the just- justices are trying to figure out what the broader principle is that can reasonably be applied in a bunch of different cases. Um, in this case, it really was just hypo after hypo about um, for, for both sides about if we adopt this rule that you're advocating for, what exactly are we going to do in a situation that looks very similar, um, but we, we seem to want a different outcome from. So I think that was a big point. Um, I think uh, that the other two points I would note, uh, I think that Kristen Wagoner, who is uh, arguing on behalf of the petitioners, made a fairly significant concession. Um, this is a little bit in the weeds, but um, one of the things that she was asked about is, if it's okay for Lori Smith to uh, to refuse to make websites for same-sex couples, what do we do about the case where uh, it's essentially the same situation, but the discrimination is on the basis of race or disability or any other characteristic that I think there would be broad agreement people shouldn't discriminate on? And I think that Wagner mostly conceded that if the court adopted her view, that, that they would have to permit, under the First Amendment, individuals to discriminate on the basis of race or disability. Uh, there are a couple of hypotheticals where she seemed to concede that point. It's an interesting um, nuance there because, you know, this case has been billed as a religious freedom case, but in fact, it's not the free exercise clause of the First Amendment that the web designer is claiming protection under. It's the free speech clause of the First Amendment, right? So why does that distinction matter and how does that relate to the issue of race discrimination? Right, yeah, that is a very uh, critical distinction in the case. Um, So the court only granted cert on the free speech question, not the free exercise question. And so even though Lori Smith's reason for wanting not to provide services to same-sex weddings is because of her religious belief. That isn't really all that relevant to the case. This isn't a question about whether the free exercise clause allows her to make that kind of a distinction. The question is only about uh, the free speech right. And so to answer that question, the court goes down a little bit of a different doctrinal path. Um, At a high level, it has to ask first if this is speech, and in particular, the speech of Lori Smith or 303 Creative. So she's speaking under the First Amendment when she provides these websites. And then second of all, if it is, uh, can can the state of Colorado justify any burden on speech, uh, depending on the level of scrutiny that would apply? And that's an interesting point, because it seemed like, you know, at least from the, the perspective of some of the liberal justices on the court, I'm thinking of Sotomayor, Kagan, and, and uh, Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson was, you know, maybe th- there's nothing really in the opinion. Sotomayor kept saying, how do I write this opinion that basically is going to prevent a situation in which uh, a business owner can effectively claim free speech rights to, as you say, you know, discriminate against someone on the basis of um, race. Uh, but what was interesting was there seemed to be a little bit of a, a threshold issue, and this is something that Justice Neil Gorsuch kept hitting on, and he he almost seemed to be like really strongly pushing this point that it wasn't necessarily the status of the uh, you know prospective 
uh, clients or customers that was really at issue, but it's the what, it's the message itself. Um, so if you can kind of uh, show for our listeners, what is the what is Justice Gorsuch kind of trying to arrive at there in creating that distinction between the who of, you know, who is the customer and the what for what is the expressive act here? Right. And so, so this gets into, I think, whole mess of different distinctions and it is a messy case isn't it (laughs) teasing them apart that that is what makes this case i think difficult at least from a doctrinal perspective to understand not just what the outcome should be but what the rule is at 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 a higher level and so i think that that what what the justices and justice gorsuch in particular were trying to get at is this distinction between uh there's one between speech and conduct so there are things that we do that we appropriately put in the box of conduct that aren't regulated by the First Amendment. And then there are other things that we qualify as speech or as expressive conduct that do get First Amendment protection. And so that's an important distinction. But then a second one too is about whether the thing that Colorado is doing, is is preventing businesses from doing, has to do with the message that's being conveyed or maybe about the the particular acts or the kinds of things that the business is engaged in. And so I, I think what we saw in the oral argument is all of the justices were struggling with understanding how those distinctions work and how they can, that can be applied. And I will say too, that in this case, I think that's particularly difficult because what we have here is a pre-enforcement challenge. So Lori Smith and 303 Creative have not yet actually made this distinction and, and discriminated on the basis of, of sexual orientation. Um, they've said that the business intends to do that. And so they went to federal court to get essentially an injunction saying that that they'd be permitted to do so. And so what we don't have are a lot of the the details that might make a difference. So we don't know uh, specifically what kind of websites Lori Smith might create for a specific couple. Uh, There are some stipulated facts about that, but we don't know uh, what it looks like. And I think, you know, at least to my mind, the distinction between speech and non-speech likely turns on a lot of that. Someone speaking at a wedding is probably engaged in speech. Somebody who is providing the chairs for a wedding probably is not engaging in speech or expressive conduct. Um, There's just a spectrum there. And I think trying to figure where three or three creatives business falls on that spectrum is a difficult question. I think that uh, obviously was at the root of the string of hypotheticals at this argument in many ways. Um, Do you think anything in this argument in this hearing changed anyone's mind? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, probably not. Um, it, it certainly seemed, uh, in this case, as in many others, that the justices were mostly talking either to each other or perhaps to the general public, um, and that most everyone had made up their mind. Um, I don't think that Chief Justice Roberts' questions were quite as clear about the direction that he was looking, but I think the other eight justices made it pretty plain uh, what direction they were leaning. Um, but I do think, too, that so so I think it's fairly clear. I think we can reasonably say that that five and probably six of the justices are likely to side with Lori Smith. Um, but I don't think we know uh, what principle or what rule they're likely to adopt to get there. Um, I think there is a pretty big open question about exactly what this case looks like and in particular how broad or how narrow the ruling is. Um, so I, I think it isn't clear how the Supreme Court is going to get to that answer. It may write the opinion very narrowly, it may do it very broadly, uh, and there's still a big open question about uh, how it, that's going to play out. Right. I mean, we've seen the case of the of the baker, and now we have the case of the web designer, but I imagine there are probably a zillion other examples out there that could potentially lead to 
further litigation down the road. Justice Kavanaugh seemed to be kind of heading that one off by saying like, hey, you know, you mentioned he's speaking to the uh, petitioner, Lori Smith's counsel about, you know, their brief, I guess, had disclaimed the idea that a, that a certain other number of vendors would be considered expressive and would have those First Amendment protections. But it definitely seems like this is a a big, a pretty big can of worms, maybe why, you know, the justices punted uh, four years ago in the Masterpiece Cake Shop case. But I don't necessarily see that out for them this time. I mean, is there any kind of uh, escape hatch that they can pull to kind of avoid some of these thorny issues that you've been talking about? There, There is, at least theoretically, um, it was actually the, the first question out of the gate um, for the petitioner was from Justice Thomas, who just asked uh, petitioner's counsel to talk about standing. Um, because this is a pre-enforcement challenge, uh, there's at least some argument that it isn't, I suppose, ripe yet, or that, you know, that because 303 Creative hasn't actually engaged in the conduct that Colorado's anti-discrimination law would prohibit, that maybe the case isn't ripe for adjudication. Um, I think that, you know, just strictly looking at the case law, that it's fairly certain or fairly clear that there, uh, that there is standing here. Uh, but standing is is often described, and I think correctly, as, as a way, as a, as a doctrine for courts to avoid answering difficult questions if they don't think it's appropriate to do so. That would be, I think, the only major off-ramp here. Um, if the court gets to the merits, though, as I think is likely, there are, as I said, ways to craft that narrowly or more broadly. Um, and I think that if, if the court wanted to, it could say that this is a pretty unusual situation uh, that creating websites looks more like speech than most of the things that are associated with the wedding and that you're you're literally writing down words on a website. Um, and so maybe that's that's a way to at least limit the the scope of the opinion without getting too far into all those can of worms, cans of worms, I suppose. Well, I suppose we'll see. And I expect this one will probably be closer to the end of the term as as some of the more controversial cases she's usually are. Uh, Christopher, thank you so much for coming on the show today and, and breaking down this fascinating hearing. It's a big one. Thanks for having me. So I think that does it for us today, but not for this week. We will be back for our regularly scheduled uh, podcast time slot on Thursday uh, for regularly scheduled, you know, episodes. So please, listeners, tune in for that. It is another big case uh, coming up this later this week that we'll be talking about more v. Harper. That's right. The big election law case this term uh, involving the so-called independent state legislature theory it's kind of a mouthful but it has some pretty big implications for democracy itself and i i don't want to sound like i'm overbilling it but but yes it uh it could vastly change the uh legal landscape for election rules and how they are litigated in courts around the country so without kind of like you know spending too much time talking about that we'll just say tune tune back in for yes our regular scheduled programming thanks for listening thank you natalie uh, appreciate it this week if you like this episode please leave a review we'd like to thank our producers steven trader and kelly marcano our executive producer amber mckinney music for the show comes from slender beats and for more information about all the high court action go to law360.com slash the term you can also find us anywhere you listen to podcasts just search law360 in the term <laughs>